The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Great to be here. Great to worship the Lord. Great to have God's Word open in front of us. Amen. And um, I'm just not sure how I get from that to this. I'm just, just, <laughs> just, just give me a minute here, okay? <clears throat> Check this out up on the screen. Yeah, so this is the um, Lotus Riverside Condominium Units uh, uh, in Shanghai, China. Uh, so let's just say um, it didn't turn out the way they had hoped. Um, Wall Street Journal uh, reported in, this is June 2009, so uh, what, six years ago, uh, just about that, uh, a nearly finished uh, condo unit uh, toppled over, just simply fell over. Uh, one, surprisingly, um, you can see that it fell over almost entirely intact. The, the windows aren't even broken on this side of the building. It's, it's kind of crazy. Only one construction worker uh, perished in the, uh, in the incident. Uh, the 13-story building collapsed uh, almost intact. The disaster revealed... Uh, no kidding, this, this statement's funny. The disaster revealed some uncomfortable facts about lax construction practices in China. Uh, where developers have been known to take shortcuts to get their projects up in a hurry. According to one source, initial investigations attributed the accident to the excavations for a parking garage. I don't know why you wouldn't build that first. Um, but they built the building and then they were digging underneath. That wasn't really the, the main issue. But large quantities of soil were taken out as they were excavating and they moved them over not too far from the building um, uh, as and kind of just... Uh, putting the large pile there uh, it, beside a nearby river or creek, uh, the weight of the soil caused the riverbank to collapse, which then caused water to seep into the ground in the entire adjacent area, changed the whole uh, water flow around that river, that creek. Uh, it created muddy soil conditions, and that alone would not have been enough to collapse the structure except that the pilings used were not sufficient to withstand the water and the mud. And this all happened as a result of just one thing. The foundation was not sufficient. The foundation was not sufficient. And, and obviously there's a cautionary tale there uh, for each of us. The lesson isn't hard to see. Uh, but the cautionary tale has nothing to do with architecture, construction, or engineering. And in our passage today, Jesus is speaking about the same thing. He's talking about buildings. He's talking about foundations. He's talking about floodwaters as a parallel, uh, a parable uh, for our lives. And he's, kind of, he's going to, in the passage we're looking at today, he's going to contrast two kinds of builders, two kinds of buildings. One does it right, and the text tells us, uh, laid the foundation on the rock. And that house, uh, by the way, that building was unshakable, the text tells us. And the other, uh, built on the ground, uh, without a foundation of any kind, and the results were a disaster. 
And what Jesus is really compelling from us today is to think about what you're building your life on. What's the foundation that's undergirding every other decision that you're making in your life? He's really saying to us, if you're going to weather the storm, you better be built on the rock. So let's read the text. This is Luke chapter 6, the last um, few verses of this chapter and the conclusion to this Sermon on the Plain. Uh, this is Luke six forty six. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a house, when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Let's uh, pray together before we dive into this. Father, we... um, we know that we have in our hands right now a more sure word. More sure than anything else we could ever hear. God, this passage that we've read is the living word of God. It's a light shining in a dark place, certainly a dark place in this world, but more importantly, Father, a shining in the dark places of our own hearts. And so get God... Right now, help us to hear, help us to believe, help us to act upon what we hear. Father, help us to pay close attention to it, as your word says. And God, we know this is for our benefit. It's for the benefit of the world around us, and it's for the benefit of your glory. And God, these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, if you're going to weather the storm, uh, you better be built Uh, on the rock, Uh, no matter who you are, uh, listen, this is where we're starting uh, today, Uh, no matter who you are, uh, Jesus is talking to you. No matter who you are, Jesus, this isn't one of those sermons, and sometimes this happens, where you can hear a sermon, and while we can always learn from every sermon, sometimes the applications are not precisely for us. Uh, But this time, I'm telling you, uh, this message is for you. Because Jesus is talking to you. We've been looking again at this a Sermon on the Plain. It started back in uh, verse 20 of chapter 6. It's concluding here. And the concluding question uh, that Jesus is ending his sermon on is this. Verse 46. Uh, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And the, the first question I have as I'm kind of analyzing this is, who is he talking to? Such an important question when you're studying the Bible. Who is he talking to? Why do you, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Well, who's calling him Lord, Lord? Who's he, who's he talking to? Well, it seems to me that every time Jesus spoke, pretty much every time he spoke, there was always like amongst the crowd of people that were listening to him, there were four kind of distinct categories of people within that larger group. The first, um, 
there were his apostles. And just earlier in chapter 6, we know that, that he chose out 12 men to be apostles. And apostles are personal witnesses of what was going on. They're kind of the inner circle of Jesus' uh, uh, men, uh, his, his followers. Uh, there were going to be personal witnesses of everything. They were going to hear everything he taught. He was going to spend some extra time with them. And they would be eventually his personal representatives on earth, having been witnesses of the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. They would have seen it all heard it all, being able to put it all together, and then they would be this kind of like a top tier of leadership within the church. And we see that that certainly bore out in history. So the apostles are there, the 12. So that's like the first group. Then, then we see um, they were actually picked out of the followers. And this was a much larger group of people who had been listening to the message of Jesus in the various villages and towns where he was preaching. And they heard what he said and they believed what he said and they decided to act on that by beginning to follow him. And so that's the second group. You have apostles and you have followers. They're believers who are going around with him to all the places where he's speaking. And those followers, they came out of a third group that's also there while he's preaching. And we just call them the crowd. They're often called the crowd. And the thing about the crowd is we don't know whether they believe or not. Some of them maybe are in the very earliest stages of believing. But in the crowd would be just all the people who are part of that particular town that he went into. Who are just like, hey, Jesus is here. There's a preacher here in town. Let's go hear the preacher. So they had not yet, for the most part in the crowd, had not yet embraced the message. But they were quite happy to hear the message. So that's three groups. Apostles followers the crowd and then and then finally uh, the ever-present uh, scribes and pharisees uh, the religious leaders of the day who were at best at best and this is true for some of the pharisees the pharisee by the way is just a let's just say it's a denomination within judaism at the time that's what the pharisees were just a denomination of people but they were the Kind of the conservative evangelicals of their day. They believed the Bible. They were big on worship. They were a lot like us. Okay, that was the Pharisees. They, they, just, they, they, they had this outward appearance of really loving God and were very, very zealous in pursuing their faith. So that's the scribes and Pharisees. Scribes worked with them, interpreting the law, explaining the law, that kind of thing. And so, so, so they're there. But at best, at best, the Pharisees are, are skeptical unbelievers. That's the best you can do with them. But at worst, a vocal and violent opponents of Jesus Christ, looking for a way to undermine everything that he was doing. And so, listen, so all four of those are in front of Jesus, he's preaching. And I hope you're already doing the mental math here to figure out that every week that I preach here, every week that we come together, all four of those groups are represented here in the room. We have those who are committed those who are, who are all in and also leaders. And you know, I think about our elders and I think about our staff and I think about those who serve as flock leaders and those who serve as small group leaders in a large uh, extent, to a large extent, those represent kind of the apostolic representative all in. I'm all for this kind of commitment to the church. And then you have followers who are here, people who are members of the church, maybe a little less involved, maybe not in, in, in any kind of leadership, but you are no less walking with Christ and and worshiping Christ and working for Christ. That's a big commitment for you. And you're all in and part of what we're doing here. And so we have, a, 
We have leaders and we have followers. We have members of the church. And then every, any given Sunday as we gather together, there are people who are part of the crowd. I don't know if you believe or not. You're not terribly committed to what we're doing, but you might be here, um, you know, uh, uh, three out of six Sundays. And, and you would identify this as being something that you're interested in. And maybe you would say you're part of it, but you're still kind of part of the crowd and not fully engaged. And, and maybe believing, maybe not believing. And any given week, we would have those in our midst who are skeptical non-believers. Maybe even vocal opponents. And however you found your way here today, I'm not sure why someone who's such an opponent would be here, except that maybe the Holy Spirit is drawing you here, and I'm excited about that. But that's the group. That's what Jesus has assembled here today. That's who Jesus was speaking to back then. Jesus says to his diverse crowd, why do you call me Lord, Lord? He doubles up the word to, to, to bring emphasis to it. And the word Lord here is not necessarily, and this is so important, at this point, as we think about it, Lord here is not necessarily a designation for his divinity, that he's the son of God. We use that word Lord because we don't use it a lot. I try to get Cheryl to call me Lord around the house. It does not work. <laughs> that is not true. I've never asked her to call me, well, maybe once. And... <laughs> So we don't use that word a lot. I don't know what goes on in your home, but we don't use that word a lot. But, but in that day, it was a little bit more common. And it was, in essence, just a, a term of respect for someone who was in authority or who was a rabbi, a teacher, as Jesus was perceived to be. And so don't, don't read Lord here and think that what Jesus is calling out is that, that they naturally believe that he's the son of God. This is way early in his ministry, and they're not necessarily there yet. Really just a common term for respect applied to this man of authority. And Jesus as a teacher was certainly gaining that respect, certainly among the crowds, but also among the scribes and Pharisees who who were afraid of the people to a large degree and wanted to show him an appropriate amount of respect without kind of completely coming on side with him. So, So even the Pharisees are willing to acknowledge him in this way. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why are you, just what Jesus say, why are you giving me this respect? And then not doing the thing that I'm telling you to do. Now, if you're here, no matter which one of those four groups you fall in, because again, Jesus is speaking to everyone. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Whatever your understanding of Lord, Lord is, a respected teacher or, or God of the universe and, and savior of mankind. However you're hearing that, no matter who you are, committed follower, leader in this church, part of the crowd still checking it out, or vocal opponent, would you... Give him the respect he deserves. Would you afford him the opportunity today to speak into your life? So, so that means that if you're, if you're in one of those groups that you're committed, you're in, you're leader, you're servant, you're member, that you wouldn't just come here today saying, I, I don't really think I'm going to get anything out of the word today. I don't think he has anything for me. I've been walking with Jesus a long time. There's nothing he can really say today that's really going to impact my life. I'm living a pretty holy life. I think I'm doing pretty well. Nobody's going to do that. Not and show the appropriate level of respect to the God of the universe. 
And certainly if you're among the crowd or you're part of a skeptical uh, group of people who are here, you're an individual who just doesn't quite buy into all of this. You would certainly be saying, even though I don't yet believe, I'm willing to afford Jesus the opportunity, out of respect for who he is, the opportunity to speak to me today, to hear him out. And then, perhaps at his insistence, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I do? Move beyond simple respect to actual heartfelt obedience to him i want to do i want to do what he's telling me to do and why would you call him lord and not do what he tells you to do so jesus is talking to you and this is what he wants you to hear he's talking to you about building your life on him Having the one and only foundation that weathers the storm. Now I want to look at the two verses here in reverse. We have 47 and 48 in front of us. Look at verse 48 first though. He is like a man building a house. Who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house. And could not shake it. Because it had been well built. Now when it says that he had built on the foundation of the rock. You might uh, put the word bedrock there. That's what he's really talking about. And um, what does it really mean uh, to have a house uh, representative of our lives that's well built? How do we build our house well? Well, Jesus is really uh, telling us here, but I think there's some confusion before we get into What he's really asking us to do, there's some confusion about this whole idea of the two kinds of houses and where they're built. And uh, this goes back to Sunday school, which has been a wonderful ministry in the church for 150 years or so. And um, but but in Sunday school class, um, there was this song and this idea of building. Some of you are hoping I sing right now. I know that. I know it's always fun when that happens. Um, What was the song again? The do the actions. If you're going to sing, do the actions, right? Right, right. Exactly. That's good enough. So, so we get together. And then the other guy, he built his house on the. How did we do the actions? It was like this, right? The sand. Here's why that's completely wrong. So, so look at look at look at up this. This is the way we would normally have pictured this in Sunday. This is how this would have been pictured for us. Correct? House on the rock, house on the sand, water off there to the right, and so the two houses. The the wise man, and this is phrasing actually from Matthew chapter seven. The wise man he builds his house up on a rock, whereas the 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 foolish man he he's a dope. He built on the beach. Everyone knows you don't build on the beach, right? So this is the way we pictured this. The guy was foolish, but he wasn't that foolish. In, in fact, this is wrong. Take a moment, look at the screen, memorize this. Get that picture in your brain. This is wrong, okay? So let's go on. Here, here's, here's what's really happening. So the black represents at the bottom, that represents bedrock. Okay, it's beneath the surface. And, and the yellow there, that's... 
That's the, that's the ground. That's the topsoil. That's the, the, the digging down part, okay? And so this is what we have. This, and it, this is a cross cut of just flat lands where houses are going to be built. And so really what the one man is doing in this that Jesus is affirming is he digs down into the soil and he takes out all of the soil and he gets down to the rock. That's why I called it the bedrock. He gets down to the bedrock and then he builds up a foundation for his house so that none of the soil around it shifts. If anything ever comes like flood water. And so he builds his house on top of that foundation. The other guy, however, he doesn't take the time to dig down to get to the bedrock. The text tells us here, he simply builds his house on the soil, on the, on the ground. And so, in as much as the other picture was wrong, take a look at the screen. Uh, this one is right. All right? So, one is wrong. 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 And one is right. Got it? Everybody got it? Say you got it. Okay, see? All those old Sunday school lessons destroyed once again. Uh, You won't forget this. Um, So this is what Jesus said. The man who built his house on the rock. Take a look at the text. Two words. He dug deep. He didn't climb up onto a rock and build his house. He built his house where all the houses were being built and he dug down to the bedrock. If you're going to build your life with a foundation on the rock, Jesus Christ, then this one thing, there's one thing the text tells us that we need to do. We need to build on him. Here's what he says, verse 47. Everyone who comes to me, hears my words, does them. I will show you what he's like. He's like a man who built a house, who dug deep and laid a foundation. Really, there's a building process here, a threefold building process that we need to hear. Just three words I'm going to have you write down. Uh, Number one, uh, you have to come. That's the word. You have to actually come to Jesus. You have to physically make an effort to pursue him and to seek him. When the spirit of God begins stirring in your heart, you start asking questions. You start wondering about him and you go on a pursuit of him. You're looking at everything else that life is offering. You're going, I don't think I have the answers here, but maybe Jesus has the answers and you begin a pursuit, but you have to actually come to pursue him. Jesus has a lot to say about how you're living and what's going on in your life. The things that aren't entirely making sense to you. And so you come to him and, and how does people come to him in, in different ways, in different places. I have a very good friend of mine. He's a pastor out in California. And he came when he had this stirring in his heart. He, he literally, he was in a hotel room. He picked up a Gideon's Bible out of the drawer and he started reading it. And just somewhere without the help of anyone else, without any influence, without a conversation with another believer, he just reading the word of God, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. But he came, he came to the word of God and he read it. And there are those who, who, um, who, who, uh, it's through a conversation with a friend and they've never been in a church and uh, over a plate of lasagna in a restaurant. 
a one-on-one conversation, and they come to faith in Christ because someone took the time to explain it to them, but they came, they had the conversation, or, or some, many, will come and be part of this even before they believe, investigating and watching the church, and what are these people like, and what does this message have to say? And they came, they heard the message, uh, many people, it, it could be through radio, and I love the fact that we have people in this church who you've listened, you listen to Walk in the Word, and some of you, it, it was uh, years of listening, and finally, Pastor James, in a radio broadcast, uh, led you in a prayer that you prayed, maybe on the side of the road, or at your home, and, and, and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and then found your way here. Listen, whatever it is, if it's the Bible, if it's a friend, if it's here in the church, if it's through radio or television... Whatever it is, the first thing you have to do, what everybody has to do, is you have to come and seek out Jesus Christ. That's the common thread. You came, you took the initiative. And then when, when you did that, by the way, and when you do that, if you're still in process with this, is you, the second word is you have to hear. You have to come. You have to hear the teaching. Maybe the things you'd... You're hearing, you've never heard about God before. These are all new to you. You have this this notion of God, and that's great, because that's an amazing starting point to at least acknowledge there is a God. And if you're coming to Jesus, you have at least some sense of the divine inside of you, and that's why you're pursuing it. But very soon after that, you have to realize that though you have this, this, this draw inside of you to come to God... You don't quite know who he is, and you realize that there is a barrier separating you and God. There is a separation caused by your sin. You have to hear that. The only way to overcome that barrier is through Jesus Christ, that he substitute his perfect life, sinless life, for your sinful life and, and bridge the gap so that you could come into a relationship with God. All you need to do is believe. You come by faith. It's not works. It's not anything you can do. But just believe this very message. And when you believe that, Christ will give you life. That's what you need to hear. And when you come here to this place, that's what you're going to hear. Not every place that's peddling God will preach the same message. But that's what you're going to hear when you come to harvest. Many churches in this town will preach this very message of life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And having done that, then uh, God calls us to glorify him. That's the ultimate aim of every human being and to, 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 to be pleasing to him in every way, to again worship uh, him, to walk with him day by day, to work for him, to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, to, to be forming this uncommon community that he's provided to us, uh, to, to love and be loved, and to be on mission to appeal to others who are not yet part of this to come and be part of the awesome thing that Jesus Christ is doing here. That in essence, that's what you need to hear. When you come, that, that's the message that God would have us hear. And then this third word, come, hear, do. These are all right out of the text. There's something you have to do You have to move beyond calling him Lord out of simple respect. When you hear the name of Jesus Christ, you need to think God 
and Savior. You need to think King and Redeemer. Because that's what he is to us. And so you have to respond in faith to the message of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come, hear, do. That's what Jesus says is happening when we're building our house on the foundation, on the rock. That's the building plan for our lives. There is no other plan. Now, here's the thing. I could say all of that, and a lot of us here in this room could just kind of dismiss it and just say, well, I, past tense, I I did that. I did it. And so it's done, and I'm a believer. But the reality is that in the text here, all three of these verbs, how many people love grammar? Do you love grammar? Yes, you love grammar because of things like this. These are not one-time it happened verbs. These are action words that are in the continuous present tense. In other words, this is the ongoing activity of every follower of Jesus Christ. That's, Jesus is talking to all of us. It, it's, it's a constant coming to him. It's a constant hearing his message. It's a constant and continual doing, acting upon, obeying his word. Not a person escapes the message today. We all fall under the conviction of the Spirit in the hearing of God's Word. Amen? Everyone coming, hearing, doing. This is, a, this is about building your life on Jesus Christ for the entirety of your life. You, you are an ongoing construction project. You are incomplete as you currently stand. And I think we all know that, don't we? And so let's keep working on that. Let's keep building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is talking to you about building your life on him instead of on nothing. Now here's, this is the other guy. We just call him the other guy. Verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them, who, the one who hears my words, Jesus says, and does not do my words is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. So, so back to the slide again. Not that one. That one's wrong. This one here is right. I know that not just because of the words above it. This, we're talking about the guy on the right here. You see how, how crazy this is that he just, he put his house up, but it's just on the ground. Uh, there's no... There's no foundation. When the stream broke against it, this is a stream of flood waters that's coming against it. Immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. How many would agree that that last sentence is it's not a desirable outcome? This is not what we're hoping for. Nobody here is living their life hoping that at the end of their life, it's utter destruction. That your building is laying on the ground. Nobody, nobody really wants to be there. And so when we think about the storm, we think about the stream or we think about the flood, here's our, here's our tendency. I think we, we use that phrasing and we think about trials, don't we? I mean, immediately we start to think about trials. Oh yeah, when the hard times come, I want my foundation to be on Jesus Christ so that my house will not be shaken. 
And that sounds like a great message, and it is a fabulous message from a different passage of Scripture. But you see, in this passage of Scripture, he's not talking about trials. We start thinking about all the different things, but, but you know, I, I, I've gone through some difficult times, and I, I've, I've leaned on these verses. You know, there's illness, there's natural disasters that can happen to people, and accidents, and grief of all kinds, and financial and job setbacks. I want, to, I want to be built on the rock so that when those things hit me, I'll be standing. But, but again, that's not what Jesus is concerned about here. He's trying to get people ready to meet God. The, the flood that Jesus is talking about, the stream that's coming against the house is the wrath of God. Now listen, the the theology behind all of this is quite simple. The wrath of God or his anger over sin, can I call it that? His, His anger over sin has to be appeased or satisfied. It has to be. Now God has an option. He could simply let his wrath over sin, his anger about how things turned out in creation, completely just wipe out all of us. That option was before him. Just let all of humanity be a complete write-off. But instead, he provided his son. Now, the reality is you all have to die for your sin. I have to die for my sin. Unless I look to Jesus Christ, because God gave his son as a sacrifice for us. And this is the thing that Jesus does because he never sinned. He faced temptation, but he never sinned. And he gave his life as a sacrifice, his blood shed for us. Because of that, this is what, this is what we believe. The wrath of God was appeased. The wrath of God was satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that if I, in faith, claim Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I don't have to die for my sins. Jesus died for my sins. So, so the flood, the flood that's coming, the, it's the judgment of God. Are you ready for it? Which house is yours? Have you, have you dug out the ground down to the bedrock of Jesus Christ and set your house on that? If that's your story, if that's your testimony, if that's what you've done, then yes, you will survive the wrath of God. The flood will come around you, but it will not topple your house because you're set on the foundation of Christ. But if that is not your story, When the wrath of God comes, when his judgment comes, it's not going to be a great day for you. You have no hope of surviving if your life is not built on the rock. If Jesus Christ has not covered your sin. Now maybe you're thinking right now, well, my house is built on something. It just isn't Jesus. Or it's it's kind of Jesus, but kind of... My own thing too. I, I, it's a little bit of Jesus. But it's not all Jesus. You might be thinking my house is built on something. But it's not Jesus in the way that you're talking about Jesus here this morning. And, and I guess all I would say to that is that I'm, I'm talking about Jesus in the way that Jesus talked about Jesus. Because the words that I'm using right now are from the gospel. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. 
And so I would say this, that if, if your foundation, if you think that yourself, your foundation is on anything other than Jesus Christ, if it's on anything else, I would just say this, it's actually on nothing else. Because that's what Jesus is saying here. There are so many different false foundations, but they can probably be grouped into just three. Let me give you these false foundations, three false foundations. The first is the false foundation of self. There there are a lot of um, hedonistic people in this world. They're, um, you know, uh, live, eat and eat, live and eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. You know, that philosophy of, of hedonism. So I'm just going to live it up now. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to, I'm going to do all that I can to make my life uh, pleasurable. I think I would include in this uh, the pursuit of power and influence in people's. It's about me. This is the focal point of this foundation. My, this false foundation. My life is about me. I'm living for the now. This is... Uh, Consistent with the cult of the, uh, you know, the believe in yourself, just believe in yourself cult. Um, I have it in me to do this. You can do it. You, you're strong. You know, whatever you can believe in your mind, you can do those things. No, you can't. If God allows, if God allows, if God has gifted you, if it's God's will, but, but this, is the, this is the cult of self. This is the false foundation of self. And then here's a second one, the false foundation of sacrament. And I would include all other religions and philosophies and even humanism here. While humanists would uh, resist the tag religion attached to what they believe, while atheists would not want the tag of religion put on, really what an atheist has done is they've made themselves the center of their um, of their divinity, they, they are themselves gods. And, and so I group all of that under sacrament or religion. And uh, religion in itself is not enough. A, a good philosophy of life is not good enough. But there are a lot of people who are like, I, I've got some things sorted out. It's not like everybody in life is wandering. There are a lot of people who are outside the church, but they've got some things figured out. This is the way I, I live my life. I've, I, I, this is the, you know, I live by the golden rule. I live by a certain philosophy. I, but, but it's not enough. It's a false foundation, according to Jesus. And then uh, this third false foundation of security. A lot of people banking on wealth and status. Don't you know who I am? That's my foundation. I have a lot of money in the bank. I have good investments. I have zero debt. I'm a wealthy person. That's, that's my foundation. Or, or they base it on relationships. The security that comes from relationships. My foundation is my marriage. My foundation. Family first. My foundation is my family. I have some of the best friends in the world. And no matter what I face in life. My friends are going to be there for me. And listen, all of those things, by the way, are amazing gifts from God. Friendship, marriage, family, awesome in every way. The gift that God has given to us. I think about what we're trying to do here at Harvest with Uncommon Community and try to have the kind of relationships where we just care so much for one another and we love each other in the way that Christ would have us love each other. 
I just think about what we're trying to do here, and it's awesome in every way. But folks, listen to me. As awesome as your marriage might be, as awesome as your family might be, or your friends, or this church, Jesus Christ is the foundation. None of those things are. Church is not the foundation. It is not. Jesus Christ alone is the foundation that we're to be building our lives on. So if you're building your life on any of these things, you're actually building on nothing. There's nothing beneath you and there's a storm coming and your house won't survive it. And again, Jesus is saying this to everyone in those four subgroups. From the very committed to the very uncommitted. Those who were professing and those who were not. He's making no distinction in his address. There was a man who dug deep and built his house on the rock. And the man who didn't do that. Both have houses that on the exterior at ground level look the same. They look the same. If you take away the cross cut, it's just two houses on the same street, in the same town and neighborhood. And they look identical. At face value, you and, and, and the, your unsaved co-worker, your unsaved friend, your unsaved neighbor or family member, on ground level, at, at face value, you look the same. The difference between those who believe and those who don't believe is beneath the surface. It's something that's hidden and unseen. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. The houses look the same in every way. The only difference is what's beneath the surface. It's what you cannot see that makes all the difference. So I'm saying to all of you, I'm saying to all of you, What Jesus said to all of them on that day. We cannot simply hear the word. And not do it. See the building code is useless. You can have it all written down. But it's useless if the contractor doesn't use it to build the building. A repeated pattern. A repeated pattern of hearing, but not doing the word of God. Reveals that you are not actually committed to Jesus Christ. No matter what you profess. And that's why this message is for everyone. If you're going to weather the storm. If you're going to weather the storm of God's judgment. You'd better be built on the rock. Of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father you are. um, Awesome to us in every way. And um, not the least of which is that you speak to us with such clarity. And it's. uh, Seems to be it's impossible uh, to read what we've just read from your word. And not hear the very, very clear message. That we have to do something with what we've just heard this morning. That we can't simply walk away and not do it itself, what it says, without putting ourselves in peril. 
of judgment. So God, I would uh, pray, I would passionately pray right now for all in the room who are not professing, maybe skeptical, maybe still searching, but not yet believing all that we've talked about here today. But God, your spirit can do something right now. You can melt away the objections of the skeptic. You can satisfy those who doubt. And for those who are searching, this right now could be the moment where full surrender comes. This could be the moment where some in this room call out to you and say, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior of my life. I want to follow you. But God, I would also pray for all in the room who are professing followers, leaders, maybe who have walked with you for a long time. God, I pray that none of us would ever be so arrogant as to believe that we've arrived. But God, that we would be humble before you. and We would be pressing in, leaning in hard right now to ask ourselves the question, is there anything that I need to hear today that's going to result in some change in my life? A decision I need to make, something that needs to be put off from my life, something that needs to be put on. God, if there's a relationship that needs to be repaired, if there are changes that need to be made, God, that we would hear from you today in your word and we would ensure without any doubt, any wavering in our own hearts that our feet are set, that our house is built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for hearing this prayer and for doing the awesome thing that you always do in our midst. Pray in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.